wealth. And I just quickly want to show you a testimony. If you can go to that, my children with the money. So I don't, I've, I don't, I think I shared it in the evening service also two weeks ago. I told you about Nicholas giving his tithe. Did I share that story? So I, I spoke about them making some money in the streets, stopping cars and getting um, people to buy stuff from them. So he made 200 rand and then he gave his tithe out of his own. I didn't tell him to do it. 50 rand. So he, he gave 20% of more than 25%, 25% of the money that he, that he made. And uh, so that was a Sunday, and the Monday we were cleaning the house, and I gave him a job to clean the, or just to rearrange the books and organize the bookshelf. And he went there, and he, he came back, and he said, Hey, Dad, look at what I found. Their wallet, where he and his brother kept a thousand rand, was lost for a year and a half. And then they found it. So that's why they, they're smiling like that. They found, they, they found their money. Even that age, they know the power of mammon. They know the power of, of money. And uh, I could say to them, listen here, maybe this is not coincidence. Maybe it's, there's, there's a relationship, a connection between what you did on the Sunday to you finding that, that money. And they're like, yes! And little Omar, we didn't give his tithe the previous Sunday. He's like, okay, I'm going to start tithing now. It It works. And then they went into the bathroom, and they were sitting in the bath, and I'm just overhearing them. They, they've never done this. They just started singing, my God is an awesome guy. <laughs> I'm like, it's so, it's so practical. Money, and I think that's why Jesus spoke about it so often. It's such a way that God wants to use to bless us so that we can bless other people. Um. Luke just this week also received some money, and for, for him it was just such a blessing. He said to me, Alma, I didn't even pray about it, and somebody gave me money. Maybe you're sitting here. He's like, wow, God loves me. And those of you who've received money before or any kind of blessing, um, physical blessing, you feel loved. So when we talk about wealth, we talk about Wealth from the context of our relationship with God. And I just want to remind you of a scripture we read previously. It's in Deuteronomy 8 verse um, 18. It says, But remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms His covenant. What is His covenant? It is Him saying, I'm going to build relationship with you no matter what. You might fail. You might not keep the terms and the conditions, but I'm going to keep it. That is biblical covenant. God says, I'm all in. No matter how you feel, how you act, I'm all in. That's a beautiful picture of what happened to Jesus. Hey, I'm all in. I'm going to fight for this. I'm going to redeem you even if you mess up. So I'm sending my son to redeem you because I'm all in. God says, part of this covenant of him being all in, he gives us the ability to create wealth. But there's also a warning in this context where he says that please do not forget about me because I've given you this ability in relationship with me. I'm going to whisper in your ear, start this business. I'm going to whisper in your ear, make that investment. I'm going to just, I'm going to whisper in your ear, give away there generously. And what's going to happen? You're going to pluck the fruit of your generosity. Welcome, Luke. And uh, 
And then what's going to happen? You're going to experience that blessing. But now the blessing is really powerful. It's powerful in the hands of God, yes, but it's also powerful in the hands of the evil one. Because the devil loves taking a blessing that God gives and use that to corrupt you. The devil can use your wife, he can use your children, he can use your business that you prayed about, that you fasted about, to corrupt you. How does he do it? He does it by allowing you to think or deceiving you into thinking that this thing, your wife, your children, your wealth, your house, your three cars, your seven bicycles, whatever you have, is more important. It's a greater blessing than the blesser. And what happens then? You step away from the covenant. You yourself, God's still pursuing you because covenant, God says, I'm all in, but you're stepping away from that covenant. And then the curse comes in and now you're complaining to God, hey God, you messed up my life with this blessing. No, you messed it up because you didn't stay close to God. So the question that we want to ask tonight is, who owns your wealth? Who owns your money? And the answer is, God owns it. Because if you, just, if you just think logically, and most of you are logical people in here tonight, hopefully. You're going to be born, you're going to go to school, you're going to acquire wealth, and then what's going to happen? You're going to die, and then you're going to take your house and your three cars and your, your mopey and everything that you have, your motorbike, you're going to go take it to heaven, huh? Is that how it happens? No, you leave it. And then your children also, they're going to do the same. They're also going to leave it. And eventually, it's just going to stay with God. And if God, then if you, your, your children might get the, the legacy of a property or something that you've given them. But if they mess up, then it's going to be distributed to other people. That's how it works. Why? Because God owns everything. And that is a key to understanding Biblical wealth. So last, two weeks ago, we looked at the fact that God loving us is the key to supernatural wealth, to stepping into that. Why? Because if you understand God loves you, you understand that He will provide for you. So in other words, you can trust Him. Because one of the big reasons why we struggle with wealth is because we worry so much we don't understand that God will look after us like he will look well like he's looking after the birds of the air he will look after us we worry and worry is a form of if you worry about about money it's actually a form of worshiping mammon we don't want to do that. And if you worship another God, then you're in trouble. You're breaking covenant. Then God cannot bless you. He cannot protect you. I'm not saying it's, it's wrong to be wise and to be a good steward and look at your budget and tell your wife, listen here, no. We're not going to go and eat out last weekend of the month. No. Let's wait for, let's wait for Peter. No, we're not going to have three coffees a day. We're going to have one coffee a day. Those things are wise. That's not being, being just, that's not worshiping mammon. That's being wise and a good steward. But some of us, because of the way that we, the world works, we just worry. We worry about where 
this is going to come from, where that's going to come from. Some of us worry already about our grandkids. Where are they? You're not even married yet. You don't even have a girlfriend or boyfriend. You worry, how are they going to get to university? So you need to understand God loves you, and therefore you can trust Him. And if you play according to the rule book, the Bible, when you sow, you will reap. It's a principle. It works like that. When you understand that God can do more with your 90% than you can do with your 100%. In other words, tithing is biblical. It's a good thing. Into the house, the storehouse, the place where you get fed. Then God will protect your finances. He will not necessarily give you the finances to own a Ferrari, but He will protect your finances and He will start resourcing your mission that He has given you. And that includes you being a good father to your children. Giving your children opportunities. Giving your great-grandchildren opportunities with your legacy. So, who owns your money? So, Jesus used two parables to explain to us this deal that He's giving us. It's an opportunity of a lifetime. Matthew 13, 44-46 says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which is a man which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Jesus is saying, hey, I am that treasure. So the wisest mind in all of the universe, God says this, listen here, don't let go of this deal. Take the deal. Some of us have had these opportunities in our life. There's a person who says, hey, invest in this, in this property. If you give one rand, just give one rand. Invest in this. This is the opportunity of a lifetime. And then 20 years down the line, you're like, look at that opportunity. You're, wow, I didn't believe my friend. I should have invested. That would have been a million rand now. Why didn't I do it? You know what? At the end of your life, when you stand there at the pearly gates looking at Jesus and you haven't done this, Investing in Jesus, you're going to look at your investment that you missed there and you're going to say, wow, I missed the opportunity of a lifetime. It's more important than investing in property. It's more important than investing in whatever annuity fund, whatever you want to invest in, which is great, by the way, and it's wise. But this is the opportunity of a lifetime. This is what Jesus is saying. So that's the the first parable. And then the second one, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of a fine of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. So Jesus is saying, hey, I own everything. So just give me everything that you have received with the blessing by applying your skill set. Just give that to me because I am a great investment. I am the best investment. So that's one side of things. Another side of things is often what we do is we become very religious when it comes to money. And so people would say, or even wealth, and when we look at the broader definition of wealth, we also think of of the blessing, enjoying the blessing. If you live on a golf course, you're allowed to play golf. If you have... 
if you have mountains around you, you're allowed to invest in a mountain bike and go cycling. You're allowed to go and explore the sea, surf, enjoy, go to a nice restaurant. Somehow, in some Christian circles, hopefully not in ours, we think it is wrong to enjoy those things. Because now you know what you could have done with this money. The surfboard, 2,500 rand. Should have given it to that manga fundraiser. Goes to Life Community and the youth coaches. Amazing. You're going to impact life, souls. And there's truth in that thinking, but there's also religion that crept in there. And usually it comes from this scripture. Hard scripture. Luke 14, 26 to 27. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Who does not carry his own cross can and, and come after me cannot be my disciple. And then verse 33. So then none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. So it says you must hate your mother and your father. What does it mean? Michelle, what do you have for, for eating a heart? No, what, what is God saying? Because he he, Jesus came to fulfill the law. He didn't come to nullify the law. The law says that we must honor our parents. But this is in the context. Jesus is speaking about understanding the cost involved with discipleship. But also, he is leading us into the blessing that he wants to give. And we're going to come to that. But in order for us to get the blessing, but also to be equipped to handle the blessing, we need to understand this. That if you are in a place where you need to ask permission of your mother, of your father, of your children, even your wife or your husband, or your car payment or the bank, to do what God has called you to do, you are not fit to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Okay, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying, husband, that you don't have to listen to your wife and include her in your decisions to follow Jesus. If God tells you today to go to Afghanistan and you are married, it means that you are one. The Bible says you must lay down your life for your wife. Hopefully, by this time, you've already done this and your wife trusts you because of your godliness. And then she would say, I don't want to go to Afghanistan. I don't want to wear those kind of clothing. I love George. I love the beach. and I love." But you know what? Because I understand who you are and the kind of character that you have, your godliness. And I understand that you have been faithful in pursuing Jesus, even in the little. And I see the fruit of your obedience. I'm going to follow you. So this is what Jesus is saying. So he's saying, who are you asking permission to, for? Are you saying, no, I cannot do this because of time? Are you saying this, I cannot do this because of, cannot be faithful to the word of God because of my personality? I cannot obey what you're saying because of my wealth, my possessions, the load, the loan that I need to repay, whatever. If you cannot say, if you're, giving, if you're asking permission from those things, then you cannot follow and be a true disciple of Jesus. And this is not 
condemning you. This is just what Jesus is saying. And when Jesus says something as hardcore as this, he also supplies the grace to actually execute that plan. Because God is graceful. I'm thinking about marriage when I think about my wife and I and how different we are. It is almost impossible for us to live in harmony together. But somehow by the grace of God, we, we enjoy it. We actually enjoy each other's company. And we're doing well. Our kids think we are good parents. There's love in the house. The dog loves us. There's good things coming from this. So God said, hey, you must marry Cornell. But then he also supplies the grace for me to work with my difficult wife. And she would say the same. She often said, hey, Omo, it's, often, it's difficult to, get, to be married to you. And sometimes because of what God says to me, and now she needs to submit and she needs to come along. And then I know, what, okay, this is going to be really difficult for my wife. And I need to understand, I need to lay down my life for my wife and then include her in this. And sometimes it takes a lot longer. When I was just a student, I could say, hey, Lord, what are you saying? Okay, let's go. Let's go on this mission trip. Let's do that. Let's now pursue this for this weekend. But now you cannot do it anymore. You need to include your wife. And that's biblical. And sometimes my wife even told me that's not of the Lord. And she was right. Sometimes you need to do that also. Or your mom or your dad would say, no, that's not of Jesus. And you need to be open to be corrected also in that way. Okay, so that's, that's what Jesus is saying. Saying, hey, I, I'm in charge of the wealth of the nations. I'm also in charge of your wealth, whether you like it or not. You might as well just give it to me. Give up ownership because I'm the greatest prize. So here's the blessing of giving up ownership. So some of us believe that, yes, it's good to give up and it's good to struggle in this process of laying down your flesh and pursuing Jesus and giving up our sinful desires, which is beautiful. But then you also need to believe the other part because this is also in the Bible. So in Matthew 19, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and Jesus says to him, listen here, yes, you are doing everything right according to the law, but now I want you to do something. I want you to go and sell all your possessions, get the money and give that to the poor. And then he walks away because the Bible says he had a lot of possessions. But think of how hardcore this charge is of Jesus. So commentary that I read asked the question, so why didn't Jesus just say, give your possessions away? But Jesus actually said, listen here, go and sell it. And then you take that money and then you give it away. And this guy said, he thinks what Jesus wanted him to help, to help him with was for him to die to the worship of mammon every time he sells something. So you're selling your car. And you're like, oh, I love my car. That's part of my identity. Oh, enough. And then you give that to the poor. And then you... 
Then you sell yourself and, oh, now I need to go to a Nokia 3310. Oh, God, part of my identity. And now you need to sell whatever your house. And now you need to sell this. And as you walk through this process of selling and then giving away, you are letting go of this worship of mammon. And you're actually breaking the stronghold of mammon. And young people, I would encourage you to break the stronghold of mammon earlier in your life. At first check, you're going to feel, wow, I have power in my hands. I can do some stuff. And then Matthew 19, 21, after this, Peter comes to Jesus and he says, okay, Jesus, but listen here, we've given up everything. Now we want to know what are we getting. We know what we've given away, but we want to know what we are getting. And this is what, what Jesus tells him. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive what? A hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Wow, hundredfold. It's a good deal. Deal of a lifetime. And some of you are thinking, wow, that's only once we get into heaven, which is already a good deal. Even if that's true, then let's go for it. Hundredfold. You invest here. You give away five rand, you get a 500 rand in heaven. Wow, amazing. But look at what Mark 10, verse 29 and 30 says. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there's no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now, now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands And then Jesus also adds this, with persecutions. So you'll also receive hardship. It's part of being a disciple. People will not necessarily like you. And sometimes people will even not like you for the blessing that you've received. And in the age to come, so this is what we can receive. This is what we can expect in this age. And in the age to come, what will we receive? Eternal life. So the key here is, that if we do it with the right motive for God's name's sake, hey, listen here, I'm going to pursue Jesus and God's saying, you need to give everything away, not your tithe 100% to the church. No, you need to bless your grandma with a new car. No, you need to do this. Your motive is, well, this is what God's saying. This is for God's name's sake. Then you need to do it. And you're going to receive a hundredfold. Then Paul also warns in 1 Corinthians 13 verse 3, he says this, If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. So there's some people that will give away to twist God's arm for a blessing. That's not biblical giving. If you do not do it in relationship with the Lord, if you don't have love, it's worth nothing. Then rather keep your finances for yourself and learn how to love. And eventually when you learn how to love, you'll understand that love is sacrificial. But when also you give love in a sacrificial way because you love this person or you love the people that you're dealing with or because you love God, you don't even think of giving as a sacrifice. I think I used the example last time around. It's like me complaining about 
the 10 rand that I gave for my car. Cannot believe I gave 10 rand. And this guy wanted 10 rand for my car. 10 rand, can you believe it? And the guy's like, where's the car? And you show him your garage and it's a Ferrari. Brand new, out of the box. You're like, dude, are you crazy? Why are you complaining about the sacrifice of giving 10 rand when you have a Ferrari in the garage for that little sacrifice? It's nothing. Don't even talk about the sacrifice. You are insulting me and you're insulting yourself by saying that. Because sacrifice, it's part of the game. But if you compare it to what you get, it's nothing. Somebody in this week came to me and said God told him to give a big sum of money away, like 150% of his, of his monthly, monthly salary. And I said to him, hey, just go for it. Great, I love it. You are challenging me now. <laughs> I said to him, one day you're not going to think about, 20 years down the line, you're going to think about that money and like, hey, I should have kept it for Black Friday or I should have done this. Or, you know, think of, wow, I was so crazy. I gave away 150%. God, it's amazing. And I've, in my life, I've given away stuff and I didn't receive anything back in like a physical way. But if I look through my life and the golden thread through my life is that God has been so faithful that he has supplied abundantly, whether it's in emotional strength, whether it's just in capacity, whether it's in leadership ability, whether it's in gifting, and yes, even financially. God gives back. So here's an ownership test that we can quickly do. So on the left side, this is your attitude when you believe you are the owner of your money. On the right side, it's the attitude of when you believe that God is actually the owner of your money and the wealth. The priority of my finances is on me. So it's all about me. The priority of my finances is on God and others. My money belongs to me. My money belongs to God. It's simple statements, but it's challenging. Even for me. There's one specific one that's really challenging to me. I get jealous when others get blessed. I rejoice when people get blessed. And for me, this is a gauge for where you're at. In terms of finances. And I've often seen this in church. Is that people are praying for, for 10 grand. God, please, I want 10 grand. And then the person next to you, for the third time this month, he has already received 100,000 rand. For the third time. And you're like, God, why don't you just give me 10,000 rand of one of those 100,000 rand. Then he would still have 90,000 rand left. Why? Why? Lord, you are so... Not a good dad. That is immaturity. And you're missing the point. We, God can do whatever he wants to do. If, if God wants to give Luke a bigger salary every month than, than what I earn, then he can do it. <laughs> I'm not going to give it to Luke, but Luke, but God can give it to Luke. 
It's what, what little children do. Like one gets a motor, motorbike, the other one gets a Vinbergs, and the other one gets a Barbie. Another one with a Barbie is like, hey, Dad, so he got a motorbike. I just got a Barbie. But no, you asked for a Barbie. That's what you wanted. That's your biggest design. But, but he got a motorbike. It's so much more worth than my Barbie. Immaturity. It's immature. In our, in our eyes, you're not allowed to say this is unfair. When things are handed out. It's unfair, Papa. I could have done no. Eer gister het ek kom bijskoon gemaakt. Nou moet ek al weer kom bijskoon maak. Because God, God works like that. He is God. He can do whatever He wants to do. I love, there's a conversation that Francis Bacon had with Einstein. And Einstein said, God doesn't play dice. And then Francis Bacon replied and said, don't tell God what to do. If He wants to play dice, then He can do it. God knows better than us. He knows what you can handle. He knows what you need. And He rewards your obedience according to what you've done. And we also don't know what's going to happen after we die in heaven, what we're going to receive. I'm positioning myself for that because that's a longer period. I'm not going to look and run around thinking, well, I've got little or less than the other guys and my car is this and that other guy is that and he lives in the bigger house that, than me. No, it's stupid. It's immature. So rejoice. If somebody gets something, you rejoice. When I get unexpected money, I think about what I can buy. I'm like that. If there's a SARS payback, yo, what can I quip? No. Think of Black Friday. When I get unexpected money, I think about giving or investing. And there's so many great people in, in, in our church, like literally people like every year with, with those kind, kind of unexpected gifts, they would just give it to the church. I'm like, yo, you're so godly. I decide where my money goes. I receive guidance from the Holy Spirit about where his money goes. And it's so, it's so important. We do it in relationship. I know we, we're punting this, this uh, munga thing. We're telling people to give. But if God doesn't tell you to give, then you don't have to give. It's not a bad thing to give. It's going to end up in the kingdom and people are going to get saved. But if God doesn't tell you, don't feel bad that you're not giving. And the same with people that beg at the on the street. If God doesn't tell you to, to give, then you don't have to give. Maybe there's a wiser way of spending your, your money. And also, obviously, the biblical principles. God says if we, if we give to the poor, then we lend to God. And there's a return on that investment if you lend to God, for instance. So read scripture. Living a blessed life is, is optional. Living a blessed life is required. Billy, are you just checking out the QR code? We're so proud of you. So often what we do is like, oh, this life is such a burden. Oh, I'm such a sad person. Nothing works out for me. There's no breakthrough. And yeah, 
maybe I'm blessed because deep inside I have the blood of Jesus that covered my sin. And that should also stop because that's not modeling who God is. What you're doing is you're complaining about the sacrifice of paying 10 rand for that Ferrari. How can you do that? It's immature. But then also living a blessed life, and this is the right attitude, is, is required. To understand, get yourself into that blessed mindset. And it's more, it's more of a mindset and less of your, speaking of your possessions. And then being broke keeps me dependent on God. So often people would say that I prefer poverty because it keeps me dependent on God. And that's half a truth. The full truth is recognizing my source keeps me dependent on God. So if you follow Jesus and God gives you the business ideal, the deal, deal or plan idea, and he gives you that money, then you still need to depend on God, not on the blessing. And it's difficult. Not on the salary. We're not dependent on the salary. You're dependent on God. So keep your eyes on the source. And understand that God, where He leads, He wants to provide. He wants to resource the mission that God has placed in your heart. Not for your selfish desires, not to have a platform and 1,001 followers on TikTok, but for His glory. 